actors to places. Thank you, places. It's time to exit stage death. Maddie Limerick. And these are the chilling true stories behind your Broadway shows. Episode four, here we are again. I can't believe it. Episode four, you guys care Kittle is still listening to us. So We're, thank you. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. The hardest thing to do so is much. show up. So we just appreciate appreciate y'all. Appreciate y'all. We appreciate y'all. We we appreciate. We appreciate. We appreciate. Um so today, Maddie, mm-hmm. um, I with this one today, and uh, we're just gonna say I'm just gonna say it off the bat. Uh, she's a doozy. This one is heavy. Mm-hmm. So um, if if real true crime, um, gory um, and and violent content is not your th- um, is not your bag, is not listening to it, um, please do not. Your mental health is so important to us. More important than uh, views, so please take care of yourself. But that is just a content warning because today's um, today's episode is all about um, the Gainesville Ripper and its connection mm. to Scream, the movie, and also Scream, the musical. Mm-hmm. Maddie, are you a Scream fan? Are you a are you a horror fan? So I have just become a horror fan in like the last year or two because I decided I've always been a weenie that's afraid of everything, uh-huh. but like had a proclivity for like ghosts and things. But like in 2020, back when I moved uh, to Orlando, I went, you know what? There is nothing scarier than the fucking world we're living in. So like, let's embrace horror because all of my friends are horror junkies. And so I jumped in. And so of course I started with the John Carpenters of the world. I started with like classic horror and I literally just started watching scream like two weeks ago. Cause the newest movie came out. Yeah. So I'm slowly working my, I finished the Halloween franchise. I, uh, up to where we are with the, the new film, but I started scream, um, and had no idea that it was literally based around the town that I just was living in for three years. Like it is when you talked about this, I literally have such a disconnect from the story because a lot of people in Gainesville still won't talk about this. Like it is referenced, but like it is why campus safety is the way it is at UF, even Mm -hmm. though it is terrible. Like campus safety is terrible. They were arguing about whether we still needed blue safety lights on frat row, which of course you do trust no Greek life. Like honestly, (laughs) Uh, but trust yes, no like long, long story. <laughs> trust no man, absolutely. Trust no man. <laughs> trust no man. Fuck him, and not in a good way. Uh, like, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no. This is a story that I am like so connected to, but tangentially are on such the edge of it because so many people still. It's such a rough story that people are not yeah. really still talking about it, even though everybody implies about it they just go Gainesville and everybody goes oof Gainesville and then they move on so I'm glad you're talking about it today it's a it's a doozy I will Mm -hmm. say writing the script um I was just like I'm sad (laughs) yes but um but also like it's yet again I feel like when people ask me like why am I so interested in telling these types of stories I'm reminded to be like because people's stories like that lost their lives to like horrible human beings deserve Mm -hmm. uh, to be told but also like there are reasons people some some people are just born the way they are and like awful chemical imbalances and they don't get the help that they need um and it becomes what serial killers become like there was that whole time of this like a weird way of saying is the golden age of the serial killer where it's just like Mm -hmm. it's like there was something in the water and it was like no, it was something oh. in the way that people were being raised and the trauma that they were going through that they just never had a chance. Especially in California in the 1970s. Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like, I have a whole BTK? theory about that that we could get into another like, day. But. Oh, absolutely. Like, that is, it's insane. And they still, like, to this day, so many stories are just tied to Richard Ramirez because mm-hmm. they figured out who he was. But there is, you know, there were like six other massive serial killers at the time. Yeah. Many of them who were hopping to Florida at the same time. Florida was also a hotbed. Like, we don't, we talk about Florida man so much, but like, so many of the serial killers from other parts of the country came to Florida and cut their teeth in the the spring break towns, the beach communities, because nobody would notice, or uh, they didn't think anybody would notice if these girls went missing. 
it was a free for all for them. Mm-hmm. If anything, it was spring break for them. And so this is a story of one of them. And so I hope you'll go on this journey with me and uh, let's get going. So scream. It's weird to say that a horror, you said, Maddie, um, that's filled with so much death is so beloved, but that's exactly what scream is. Scream is campy. Um, it was, it, it set a new standard of horror films that could be mm-hmm. horrific and campy at the same time. Scream was created by Wes Craven, who was a slasher, slasher film connoisseur. I was, I wrote down, I was like, I feel like this man literally like drinks red corn syrup for breakfast, considering like literally, how much is like in his film. Yes. Um, it had a 79% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is like pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Multiple sequels, as you said, recently the one in this year, 2022, um, is simply entitled Scream, an all new movie, which I think is just like, just a reference to be like, yes, we've done it again. And it brings back all of your favorite living characters. I didn't see it. So maybe some of the dead characters too. Yeah, I still haven't seen it yet either. But it's also like, just say an all new movie. It's a fucking camp because that's what they were putting on like Land Before Time 6, an <laughs> all new movie yeah. with your favorite dinosaur friends. It's like, Oh no, we get God. it. Like, we get it. We yeah. get it. We <laughs> like, know what we this know exactly is. We know exactly what we're, we're signing up for. Mm-hmm. Please don't try mm-hmm. to make us feel smart. It's not It's not that yeah. deep. So this movie had a balance of comedy, shock, self-mockery, and an actual thrill that were unheard of until Scream came out. It was like, it took everything by storm. However, people don't really know where the inspiration for this movie came from. The movie is about a small town... Uh, who has a serial killer named Ghostface on the loose who has an affinity for horror movie references. He kills all of his uh, victims by attacking them in places where that they should feel safe with this gigantic knife while wearing this creepy costume. It's almost comical, but it's also terrifying. So the writer of the movie, Kevin Williamson, was in the story of the Gainesville Ripper because this story was happening... Um, life and he was so enthralled with it that eventually it made him go I could literally write a movie about this he was enthralled as much as the rest of America was and as we get into it the Gainesville Ripper easily broke into people's houses while the occupants felt safe and secure much like uh, Ghostface did he attacked them with a knife and then proceeded to pose them in very graphic ways and all of this had Williamson look around his house and go yeah someone could absolutely break in here And that's scary as hell. And he started writing the screenplay as soon as uh, the trial began. Because he was just like, I have to jump on this idea now. I have Mm -hmm. to get it out of my brain. It's probably terrifying to have it live in your brain. He's like, just get it out already. Mm -hmm. But he didn't want to retell the crimes because um, he didn't want to bring disrespect to the victims of the Gainesville Ripper. And he kind of wanted to, like, turn this fear on its head with the camp of it. Um, and the macabre, but he also understood the gravity of the situation. So, of course, this type of work is the perfect thing for a kooky musical to be done at the infamous Rockwell table and stage. Rockwell is and was a staple of the L.A. theater scene. It's known for its performances and apparently it's amazing food. I don't know how amazing the food is, but the menu looked like surprisingly fancy um much more than i expected and i was just like can that actually be good so i've never been there unfortunately so if any of our listeners have been to rockwell have performed at rockwell please tell us is the food actually as good as TripAdvisor says it is because i'm very curious um but as march 20 but as of march 2021 unfortunately due to covid rockwell announced that they would close uh, permanently close because of the pandemic Um, However, according to their website, the restaurant is still open. Um, So I think it's possible one day that the theater itself will open again. But so many, so many people that are very uh, popular on on social media for theater um, or or on the Broadway stages now have gotten a start in on Rockwell. Like I think of Rockwell a lot like a second city. Like it's just kind Mm -hmm. of like a place where a lot of people got their start of like just creating art for art's sake. Like it was silly. It was campy. um, It was never that deep, but people always had a good time. Like every video I've seen, I'm like, wow, everybody just looks like they're having so much fun. And that's what I miss most about theater. It's just like true. The fun. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. 
So the musical made a splash on the streets of L.A. during the Halloween season of 2014 with Sarah Hyland, famously from Modern Family, as Sydney, a.k.a. Nev Campbell's character. And this is actually how I saw clips of the musical when, get it, Maddie, I was actually, like, re- doing my research for hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, like, looking up called, I was, because I had to do Chrissy material for hair. Mm-hmm. Maddie and I and were in. Sarah Hyland played mm-hmm. Chrissy And I was like, Hollywood oh, Bowl. I went, oh, shit, like, I didn't know this girl could sing. Like, she sounds really good. So I just mm-hmm. started looking up, like, more clips of her singing. And, um, and then I saw her, I saw a clip of her, and she's covered in blood, and said she was going to be singing Knocking on Heaven's Door. And I was like, go off, like, let's watch this. And she starts belting her tits off. And I was like, oh, my God, did not know that Sarah Hyland could, like, rock sing. Mm-hmm. And then I'm seeing these other clips, and I've later found out that as my friend Lindsay Heather Pierce, um, how very dare you, yes, like, singing, singing uh, the same thing. So she had also played Sydney. And then, you know, today I say, well, then one day it will also be me because I will also play this role. Uh, yeah, I'm going to put that in the universe for we, you, absolutely. We, we manifest uh, a dope role like that. And... um and I was obsessed. I feel like I've watched those videos so many times just because I love this idea of it. And it's just so mm-hmm. outrageous. So if you haven't seen any clips from um, Rockwell's uh, Scream, check them out. They're really, really fun. They're really funny and outrageous and, and just great. But Scream, Scream the Musical was written and directed by prolific television writers Michael Gans and Richard Register, who were very well known as a comedic comedy duo um in new york city they went on to work on tv shows like scream tv which is like okay we get it you're obsessed with scream mm-hmm. um siren recovery road celebrity Deathmatch, very camp mm-hmm. but also very serious material as well so their love of scream was just so true that they were just like oh we need to direct a musical and rock rockwell did a lot of these unauthorized musicals mm-hmm. based on um many films and they wanted to do one based on the slasher film so in these types of musicals that they would do at Rockwell, the script would always call to playing up the camp of these cult classic moments in movies and specific lines of the show that would just make everybody like in the audience um, just go wild and interact with them and stuff. There was like never a fourth wall. It was like a very interactive theater experience. And they always would put uh, pop music in, just like top 40s mm-hmm. kind of stuff that fit the emotion of the scene, i.e. for Scream, they had Don't Fear the, Rip- Don't Fear the Reaper, Live and Let Die, Knocking on Heaven's Door, all to kind of fit different situations that were happening in Scream. Um, and this is a quote that was on their website. This, this hyperbolic retelling ups the ante of the camp of the original uh, Scream movie with live onstage blood, beyond reverent narration, and an infamous killer mask donned by our very own Screamettes. The Screamettes were basically like the urchins in um, mm-hmm. Little Shop of Horrors, just kind mm-hmm. of the narrators of the whole thing, just kind of creating this otherworldly situ- um, space. But as we know, this movie, this musical, is not just camp, it's not just a horror film, it's based on true events. And so now we got to talk about those because the story is important and it's awful. And here we go. So our terrible story here, (laughs) setting myself up, this terrible story I'm about to tell you. It begins um, in the late August, August 24th, near the University of Florida campus in Gainesville, Florida, in the early morning hours. Police are called when parents to 17-year-old college freshman, Christina Powell, um, and they stated that their daughter or her room apartment in a few days. They were about to start classes. They hadn't heard from their daughters. So they were like, can you please just do a welfare check on Christina and her roommates? We need to hear from them. So the police kind of like roll their eyes and they're like, oh, they're probably just college students. They're probably just getting drunk, having a good time, like going through orientation. I'm sure it's no big deal. But like, yeah, we're gonna, we'll go check in on them. Like, no worries. And their apartment was something that they were never expecting. A horrific sight that was just the beginning of what the next couple days would be a huge nightmare. Um, deputies found Sonia Larson, who was Christina Powell's roommate, who was 18 years old, face down on the ground, stabbed 20 times in the back, with her arms above her head and legs were spread. It was said that her body was so damaged by the wounds that dental records had to be used to confirm her identity. Christina Powell, whose parents made the call originally to the police, was found posed very provocatively near the front door um, with stab wounds, 
signs of I don't feel like saying it, it's too triggering and body mutilation there was a third roommate actually fame because clearly she doesn't want to be found and absolute respect to that but of all days to this house she decided to spend the night somewhere else and came home to her apartment while the mm. police were there so she didn't but she did see the sight of the of the crime scene. Was horrified. Obviously thankful that she wasn't there, but like complete shock, complete tra- trauma. Like mm-hmm. I can't even imagine what was going through this girl's mind. Survivor's guilt, all of that stuff. But not 24 hours later, another on August 25th, Krista Hoyt, another 18-year-old student, this time from Santa Fe Communi- Community College, was late to her morning shift at the police station. She was working at, for the records department um, of the sheriff's office, and she had big dreams to become a police officer one day. And her, impl- and her colleagues said that she was really, really good at her job and that she would be an, a wonderful um, law enforcement agent one day. So deputies were sent to Krista's house for yet another wel- welfare check. They thought it was strange that they were like, this person that they knew wouldn't call, mm-hmm. wouldn't, um, wouldn't let them know why she wasn't coming in. So I'm pretty sure that these people that were coming over to her house knew her. Mm-hmm. No one's answering the door, so they look into Krista's window, and this one, this one's really tough, guy. Like they're all really tough, but this one's particularly hard. So if you need to check out, come back in a couple, like a minute and a half or so. Um, they looked into Krista's window, and they found a very um, horrific scene of her naked body sitting up in her bed, mutilated. And decapitated. When the body, when the police entered her home, they also found strategically placed on a bookshelf that was moved into her room, her head. Her head was looking directly at her body. It was horrific. Mirrors were placed all around Krista's body to magnify the scene, to make it look bigger than it was and more horrifying. It was like this grotesque, macabre, theatrical sight, the police were saying. They were like, it was like a, a weird disgusting production that was put on um it, and the, the killer wanted people to notice it and it showed that the killer was escalating and he was escalating very quickly so all of these murders literally happened within hours of fall classes starting there's so many new people on the campus that don't know what's happening new people who have never been to college before so naturally the university is in full panic but luckily um they acted quickly many kids went home um, I mean, my ass, I would have been like roadrunner, like out of there, like mm-hmm. goodbye education. Mm-hmm. I'm good. Thank you. Like I, I'll homeschool. Like I'll be fine. Um, but for those who had to stay, because I'm sure there are many people that didn't have the option of going home mm-hmm. and those who did choose to stay took serious precautions to make sure that the students would be as safe as possible. Those who stayed would sleep, travel and take shifts in large groups of people like of like up to 20 people. And they would move from like in packs together so that nobody was alone and everybody on campus was taking it seriously. And can I tell you literally? So the thing about UF um, that like, I mean, it's it's now I think the top four, one of the top four universities in the country, public universities. So you went to Muhlenberg, mm-hmm. where you know your theater department's a third of the student body. Mm-hmm. At UF, the starting freshman body every year is roughly ten thousand students a year. I cannot even imagine. And there is not even enough beds in the dorms on campus to be- to house all of the freshmen every year, let alone the entire student body. So that is why, like seventeen-year-old girls were living on their own for yeah. their first time. Like that is kind of the culture of Gainesville. Is you have most kids, especially if you come from more money, which a lot of the UF kids do, you're living off campus immediately as soon as you start. And so like wow. for a lot of people out there, like I can't imagine at 18 living in an apartment on my own and commuting to class every day. Yeah. Um, and that's just kind of the, like you party and you go to class. Like that is the literal culture of Gainesville oh. and anybody that's gone to UF knows it. Like, so it is. Thank you for saying, cause I was like, why would they be so young? having an apartment it's literally because in like when i tell you that like there is housing that is just run down but there is almost not enough beds in the city because the city is only grown around the university and santa fe is Mm. the community college that's across town uh shout out to everybody i know from santa fe and uf Mm -hmm. um 
but yeah, it's it's the culture of the town, and it's really unusual mm. because there's also a stark par- star- stark poverty line. Mm. Like, over by where the police station, the big police station is now, mm. like, you cross it, and you see and feel the difference in the college part of town, and then everybody that's from Gainesville or is kind of stuck in Gainesville. Mm. Uh, it is it is a stark, stark difference in community. Wow. And so there is also a lot of um, hatred towards the students, towards mm. the school as a whole. So I'm, you know, again, not surprised that they were at all remotely the target. Because again, you got 10,000 new students coming in. Who's going to notice three girls gone? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. kids kids don't make it even through orientation and they leave. Like, that's just a, yeah. just a thing that happens. That is wild. I can't even imagine mm-hmm. a college experience yeah. like that. I had such a small undergrad experience. That's why for grad school, I was like, oh, yeah, let's go to a giant school again. And even when I got there, I was like, this is overwhelming. Yeah. And like, and you're, I've lived like, you in New York grown. City. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're a yeah. grown human at that point. Yeah, yeah. That's, well, I'm never sleeping again. Like, ever. Yeah, absolutely. So, tonight will be fun. Um, so, unfortunately, we must continue with yeah. what's about to happen. So on uh, August 28th, two more students are found um, unalive, found dead in their off-campus apartment building. 23-year-old uh, best friends, Tracy Pauls and Manny Taboda, uh, are found in a scene of gore and absolute horror. It was concluded that Manny was attacked first in his bedroom as he slept because uh, with a knife literally pl- plunged through his abdomen. However, Manny was not going down without a fight. He was a big guy. He played football. Um, and though he, even though he had a knife in his abdomen, um, it would take a huge altercation and 31 alternative stab wounds to bring Manny down. Manny Holy fought for his shit. life and tried to um, bring down this killer as well. Fucking hero. Um, and the killer, once um, he realized that Manny was no longer an issue, he made his way to Tracy, who had tried her hardest to barricade her room, but somehow he broke in. And this part is just so chilling. She looked at him and allegedly said, you're the one, aren't you? To which the killer replied, yeah, I'm the one. And so then he proceeded to torture, R word, kill, clean her body, and then pose her in the ways that he had posed all the other women. And he left Manny as he was. So that signaled that Manny was merely an obstacle that needed to be handled while Tracy was the main aim of his attack. So these are the links that are between the, the murders. They're all female victims, aside from Manny. Um, uh, they're Caucasian, petite. All women were stalked and carefully chosen, like he was trying to get revenge on one person by killing multiple people. They were always left in very lewd positions with body mutilations that were taken as trophies. Um, I'm not going into it because it's mm-hmm. too much. I'm not going to say what they were, but they were bad. Um, and at the time of death, he forces women to roll on their stomach and stabs in the back to death. It's extremely cowardly, but also like extremely intimate. Yeah. It's like the yeah. most cowardly, intimate way that I feel like to kill someone. It's horrible. Each woman, uh, each woman had duct tape residue on their hands. Um, and they were also washed with soap to try to get rid of uh, his DNA evidence. The same weapon was used for all the murders. Uh, it was a Marine K bar knife, which was made and specifically used to kill. And the killer always entered their homes through a rear sliding glass door while using the same screwdriver, which we'll talk about a little later because I think it's fascinating. And my queer self is just like, ah, oh, of course I'd be interested in tools. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, ah, I'm gay. Um, <laughs> like when I wrote this, hadn't, hadn't put that together. And now I'm like, ah, oh, it's because I'm gay. Uh, <laughs> uh, so the killer spends uh, the killer spends a lot of time in the apartment of the uh, of the murders. He usually had mutilated the bodies post mortem, and it was a ki- very similar to how Ted Bundy had worked, how the Golden State Killer had worked. And the press named him the Gainesville Ripper, but then as soon as the murder started, they stopped. So the hunt for him was finally on. So tips were just flooding their systems. The police were getting more tips that they could come up with because everybody was afraid. 
Altogether, they had something like 18,000 pieces of evidence that were connected, Ooh. that were collected from all the different crime scenes, and including DNA. But since we're in the early stages of DNA, there wasn't a perfect match in the system yet. And also, like, different states aren't connecting with each other in terms of, like, whose DNA is this and do you have something like that? Like, we've got jurisdiction lines, remember, between states that are very strongly held. But there were a lot of men in the area to choose from that people started questioning. And there was one person in particular, Ed Humphrey, who was um, a bit of a red herring, but people really thought that they had caught the person when they brought this guy into custody. Uh, And he was also a recent tenant of the apartment complex right next to Manny and Tracy. So they thought, we got him. Because people have been reporting his behavior as very odd and unnerving. He also had the quote-unquote look of someone you think would be a murderer. I saw a picture of this guy. Um creepy like creepy looking man um he had many many scars on his face apparently they came from a car accident it probably had gone he probably had gone through like a windshield it looked like that many like fractals of glass that had been in his face he had a dead look in his eyes he would walk around in combat clothing and carry knives which all i have to say is this absolutely not Red flags, red, red flags. flags. <laughs> song. Red flags, red flags. And he was very vocal, you know, about his like love of mm-hmm. violence towards women and Satan. Mm. And he spent not. And he spent time in the woods at night. Like, mm, what a charmer! Like, swipe right. Like, mm. and I feel like Satan's sitting there, like, girl, don't speak for me. Don't bring me into this. Don't speak for me. Don't bring me this has nothing to do with me. I was the most gorgeous angel. Don't speak for me. <laughs> I'm not a Satanist, but I am a Satan apologist. (laughs) He's like the mob. He gets blamed for so much that, like, really, he's like, y'all, I got thrown out of heaven and I was given earth to put up with. Y'all got a whole lot of messy bullshit for me to, like, be the patron state of fucking serial killers. Y'all need to sit down. Of course, Satan's gay in my mind, but, like. (laughs) Obviously, like. Obviously. It's just like, look, it's so hot down here. I'm sweating. I, my my concealer's running. Like, please, just stop. It's true. Absolutely Guys. not. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. So, uh, so this guy's a charmer. And he allegedly, I mean, it is sad because clearly he had mm-hmm. mental issues. And apparently he allegedly had stopped taking medication for his bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. And he mm-hmm. started carrying a knife around for his quote-unquote missions. Florida, do better. It's it's just we need to get help for people like this, listen, not just like leave listen, them to their as, devices. As a resident, this state is just they can blow it up and like let it float into the ocean at this point. Like keep Miami as an island so we have some ports to go in and out of mm-hmm. and cocaine can keep running into the country. But like I just all of Florida at this point, after the don't say gay bill this week, I just I don't have time. Uh, I don't have patience. Get rid of Disney. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. have time. Just, just throw, Get rid throw of everybody. It all away. <laughs> throw, throw Florida, you have hat. been throw it all away. Flo- Florida, it's time for you to sashay away. <laughs> Literally like just... Bring me my girls. Um, but yeah, I mean, hey, I'm in Jersey, so like we're both in the two. We're in the y'all two are right behind. Everybody, y'all are right behind. <laughs> everybody hates us, so it's like at least we're the it's we're true. we're the gleaming light. Um, Meanwhile, you got Texas going. Hold my beer. They're like let anyway. Me, let, me, let me try. Let me try to be awful. We, look, we're the worst. We promise. <laughs> Jesus. Um. So yeah, Florida is Florida. Um. So Humphrey's arrested because they really think that this is. This is their guy. Um, and he was already in custody uh, because, you know, he um, unrelatedly assaulted uh, his 77-year-old grandma. No biggie, Ugh. just like attacking granny. And the public thought that really that this was the ripper. And mm-hmm. so they set a bail for a million dollars to which, like, of course, him and his family could of not. Of course he can't. Could pay. No. So they were like, we got him. But then, of course, oh, and they, you know, they go in to check uh, Humphrey's apartment and it was a hot fucking mess. Like, they literally were like, oh, we're dealing with someone who could very possibly have a split personality disorder. Like, mm-hmm. but there's no, like, it's a mess and it looks really scary in here. But, like, there's no evidence. There's no weapon. There's mm-hmm. no DNA mm-hmm. that matches. Mm-hmm. And the DNA that they were able to do came back and he was not a match. So they had to let him go. He was just another. And was in, he was just another terror. I mean, who knows what's happened since? But like, he was just yeah. another Florida man that they were like, "Here's your knife." 
be the, gone. And this is pre this is pre CODIS, right? Like pre I think so. the idea of like the 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 DNA system, yeah. Yeah. Oh shit. So the police are back to square one, which is terrifying for everybody because they're like, Oh, uh-huh. this terrifying person is still out there. Great. Cool, cool. So they're getting all these tips, but it wasn't until this very one strong tip came in from Crime Stoppers, a whistleblower um, named, oh, I can't, her last name, bless me. Uh, her name is Cindy Guracic, Gura, Cindy J. Um, she's a civilian, and she was actually, this is fucking wild. Synchronicity is so real because this is like, she was meant to be the whistleblower because she's on a trip. She's on like a road trip in Florida and she hears about the these murders on the radio I think she's like I think she's like far away maybe Jacksonville I feel like Gainesville and Jacksonville are not yeah they're about two hours apart so she's she's it's only 60 miles but two hours yeah yeah so she's far enough away but she's just on vacation she doesn't live there and she's hearing this this these um these crimes on the radio and and they're immediately like sticking in her brain she can't stop thinking about them because it just makes her think about this one murder and this one man that happened a year earlier in her hometown of Shreveport, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. She used to know this creepy guy from her church that would come over to her house um, because she felt bad for him. She would give him food. She was just like, oh, he's just a loner. Like, he just needs friends. And and it wasn't until her husband was like, do not let that man back into our house. And she's like, why? And he goes, because I quote he told me he likes to stick knives in people. Apparently, this man that she would invite into her house would also say, would, would go on to say, um, one day I'm going to leave this town, Shreveport, Louisiana, and I'm going to go where the girls are beautiful and I can lay in the sun and watch beautiful women all day. Absolutely not. Ab- no. Absolutely no, no, no. Ab- Red flags, red, red flags. flags, just ablaze, a beyond. They are everywhere. Red, that is terrifying. Of angry man. Like absolutely not. So, her hometown. So, so we're go, now we're shifting over to Shreveport, Louisiana, um, where a very similar murder had happened a year before, uh, November fourth, nineteen eighty. Yeah, November fourth, nineteen eighty nine. Julie Grissom is a college student. She was stalked and followed home uh, from her job at the Shreveport Mall. She was stabbed to death with signs of R-word, body mutilation, tape residue, everything that was in these other murders. The literal M.O., yeah. Literal M.O., placed in loop positions, and her hair was spread very creepily, like, spread out over the bed. Again, very theatrical, very production. Very male gazy, male, so yes. male gazy. That's so gross. And so not only was she murdered, but there were other people in the house that got in the way. So she also so this murder also took the lives of her father, Julie Grissom's father. And very, very sadly, I mean it's all very sad, but this it's like, what the fuck? Also took the life of her eight year old nephew, who just happened no. to be in the house, who was being babysat. Oh, no, no. So the whistleblower oh. Cindy, she didn't want to believe that she invited this fucking creeper into her house willingly. And she fought that belief, but like she fought the belief that he could have done these murders, but it was just too, like, it was too synchronistic. Her spidey senses were tingling way too much, and she was just like, I have to put in a tip. You have to look into Danny Rawlings. The motherfucker, if you look up a face, if you look up his face, Danny Rawlings, he literally looks like a ghost face. He's got this, he's like a droopy dog, like a droopy face. He looks like ghost face, like piece of shit. This is Danny Rawlings. Now, do I want to tell the story of Danny Rowlings? No. But it is do important to just to know it? where Absolutely. he came from. Yep. So this piece of shit was born on May 26, 1954, to 19-year-old Claudia and uh, father James Rawlings. James was a war vet, a cop, and overall shit stain of a father. He also had a younger brother. And the entire family, including the sweet baby puppy, uh, were victims of James's abuse and PTSD. He was an awful father that just made lives of his family miserable. The toxic and dangerous masculinity that dripped from James's veins was like garlic. It was just putrid everywhere. And Claudia, like so many women, especially of that time, had to leave her husband so many times only to come back and suffer more abuse. Throughout Rawlings' life, and the abuse only intensified, and then it also went to him and his brother as well. 
Um, Danny would be greatly affected by this abuse. He failed the third grade because of his lack of attendance. He also showed very aggressive tendencies and inferiority complexes with a splash of impulse, lacking of impulse control. Um, I'm actually surprised to say this because for the 50s, it felt very surprising, but they were like, yo, your child needs counseling. And the family was just like, no, we're good. But for the, I feel like for a school to be like, your child needs help is was pretty progressive for the 50s. Well, they wanted to put him in a sanatorium and mm-hmm. lobotomize him. It sounded like, I yeah, mean, you know, that, but I mean, that was the, the choice. But honestly, it would probably would have been best if they had him at this point, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. So here are some events that led up to this origin story of this villain. Um, 1966, Danny's 12, and Father James tries to kill Mom Claudia. In the same year, Danny's put into jail for the first, but not the last time, for drinking. Um, by age 14, Danny is caught for peeping into people's houses by his father, and then his father proceeds to beat the shit out of him for this behavior. Um, by 1969, he's 15. Danny claims he starts experiencing multiple personalities. He would later name these personalities as um, Yinad, which is Danny backwards. Very, mm-hmm. very original. And also Gemini. Uh, Danny is a Gemini. And um, look, I don't know much about astrology, uh, astrology, but unfortunately in this case, I am also a Gemini. Um, so the little that I do know, I am learning more, but the little that I do know, we have very strong personalities, um, we're very charismatic, and, um, sometimes we come across as very two-faced. Look, this isn't about me, but, like, I just, like, I just feel the need to say, like, not all Geminis, like, not all of us are like this, but, like, Danny was. Like, seriously, like, straight up two-faced, like, 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 three-faced, like, he had so many faces. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um... But yeah, so Danny just continues to be jailed for drinking. He drops out of high school. And then he tries to do what so many people who didn't didn't make it through the school system do. Um, he tries to join the Navy. And the Navy's like, we're good, girl, we're good. No, bro. We're good. Yeah. And so, you know, what's the second best choice for him? He goes into the Air Force. <laughs> and I guess the standards just aren't as high to fly planes and to shoot from planes. Um, don't come for me. But because um, what would have this this would have been Vietnam, yeah, it's like just yeah, yeah. Just, I don't yeah. think he went to Vietnam. Um, no, but um, but yeah, he gets into. Oh my god, I I wrote in my script such a bad joke. I said, but Danny gets into major trouble. Ha ha, get it? Like, what am I writing? Emily, stop. I hate you so much. <laughs> I hate myself. Um, what a pun. Go to bed. Um, Although I'm like, I remember Gabe helping me with the script, so I wonder if he wrote that. I can't remember. Anyway, <laughs> Maybe. We're blaming Gabe. <laughs> we're blaming Gabe, who is on the road with Moulin Rouge right now, <laughs> so we're blaming him. <laughs> um, but he he gets blamed, and he's he's in a lot of trouble for, trouble for uh, not obeying orders, possessing drugs, and they just feel like, like something's very off with him, and he's diagnosed with a personality mm-hmm. disorder, and they honorably discharge him. Um, okay. Which is like, great, just put him back into society. Cool, cool, cool. Right. Um, and he goes to live with his grandmother in, um, yeah, he goes to live with his grandmother. And he starts going to church like a good Christian boy. Because that's the cure for it. Um, and he gets like really. Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus is like, Jesus. I don't want you. Um, <laughs> Sorry, sweetheart. No, no, no room in this. I already got 13 men. Don't need any more. Sorry, baby doll. He's just like, Look, <laughs> I made a mistake with you. Um, Maybe we're not fishers of all men, just fishers of a few. Okay. (laughs) So um, while he goes to church, he meets like a God-fearing woman and marries her. And her name is, get this, best name ever, Omather Loomis. Come on, queen. You better work that name. I'm sorry. Was she from the Crucible? I don't. Did she see Goody Pro- <laughs> Did she see Goody Proctor dance with the devil? I, think she like, did. <laughs> I saw that. I was like, "That's not a real fucking name." It's Wait, a name. give us that name one more time. Give us. Oh, Mather Loomis. Oh, Mather Loomis. Oh, Mather Loomis. From the peanut butter Loomises. I gotta oh, say, all okay. accounts, Omather seemed like a boss bitch, but like. I love that. But like at the same time, it's just like, that's a tough name to live with. Yep. Um, so she has a daughter with uh, Danny, but very quickly into their lives together, he becomes very violent, and um, you know, Omather starts to feel for her fear, fear for her life, fear for her daughter's safety, and so she does what she should, and she has an affair with someone, and she's just like, "Bye, I'm I'm done with you," and it's like, "Good for you, boo boo. You Jesus. better find your love in the sun." Jesus. 
and she gets a separation in 1977 and soon divorces his ass. Mm -hmm. Well, Danny did not like this. Of course he didn't. And so, I mean, maybe he went to therapy. No, 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 no. What is he going to do? Learn. What is he going to do? Learn from to love himself and heal from past trauma? Learn from himself? Two words. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> Rather, he goes on a crime spree against all women that look like his wife. What a trigger. So he starts to sexually assault women that all look like O'Mather. Caucasian. Petite. Brown hair. Brown eyes. Does this sound familiar? So in 1978, oh, he's in jail for robbery because he also did a lot of robberies. I think he just liked the thrill of it. And he just, I, in some ways, it's just like, just maybe in some ways he was like, please put me in prison so I don't do any yep. more of this shit. But also, like, typically stepping stone. Typically, typically stepping, stepping stone, stone for, for sure. Um, but, um, but yeah, he just keeps going to prison. And, um, and then he also tries, when he's in prison, he escapes. He actually escapes prison once. And he avoids capture for three days. And they're just like, oh, that Danny, he's always slipping through our fingies. But, you know, what should we do? You know, what should we do with him? Well, why don't we let him go? You know, he's released from the prison system in Alabama because all this is happening in Alabama. Sorry, I didn't of mention that. Of course Alabama did. Of course they did. In June 1984, we love a Gemini. He's probably like, oh, my God, it's my Gemini time. Like, let me out, Alabama. It's um, Gemini season. It's time for hot Gemini <laughs> chaos time. Hot Blah. Gemini, hot flaming garbage. <laughs> and uh, so, so you know, his needs, his needs are starting to flare up again. And by November, uh, the spree of breaking into women's houses is starting to really amp up. Um, and he's continuing his assault on women. But then he's caught again, and um, he's put into the system for four more years. And it's just like, are we not learning our lesson? Like, we're just, we won't keep him in here? Because he keeps being let out. I'm exhausted. Like, I just can't. It's just. Well, but again, this is the, like, longest argument for, like, why privatized prison systems don't work. Why and again, that's the conversation of defunding police mm -hmm. is not, like, taking all the money away from the police. It's it's repositioning it because, like, honestly, this is why, like, things like clinical hospitals or clinical prisons work in a little bit better way because they're not even just being put in with other criminals. Yeah. They're being put in, but also given all the tools in order to try to succeed and try to figure out what's going on. Again, it's still the 80s. It's Reaganomics. It wouldn't have been the best situation for him. But instead of just throwing him into mass incarceration, which again, we're in deep South countries yep. who have the you know some of the lowest education rates. So it's just one of those things. It's like, he is fucked from the start. Yeah. Again, not to justify a single thing he does. Not at all. We're not doing that. Yeah, because but, the, know, the amount of, of people in the world that have been abused, like exactly. to the level that he was and have never committed a crime, right. are far out, far outweigh. But they could have kept him in a place where he would have not been a danger to anyone else. Exactly. And if we had investment in those kind of situations instead of privatized prisons, mm -hmm. maybe this wouldn't have happened. Yes. Yes, and also bow, maybe bow, bow, listening bow. to women once in a while would be nice too. Okay, don't get crazy now just because we're giving you a podcast. I'm sorry, I gotta you make think, myself oh, so small. Thin. Oh God, no! But at least you're beautiful. That's all that matters, oh my gosh, right? You're the beautiful. thing I put on my face for this audio stream. What about your other face, Gemini? Oh my no, God, she's in the corner. Please, I don't, I don't want any Geminis to feel attacked. I just, I also like, was don't just, worry. We feel attacked whether people are talking about us or not. So. It's very true, but Leos are as well. And as a Leo, I think I can say that. But I just, I, I needed a moment of decompress Leo's because this name. is a, <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> Libra is. Libra is mine, which explains every reason with my <laughs> shitty fucking personality. <laughs> Again, all Libra. Well, thank you. I love yours. But I do feel that all Libras should feel attacked. So <laughs> go with that. But I also just needed a moment of decompress because this is a lot. Yeah, this is a this lot. Is we needed this. A fascinating story. So let's go. Let me stop interrupting you. Jump back in. Oh, but also, like, thank you for because I, I needed that too. You're good. <laughs> yeah, you're good. So um, as we know, he's let it out of let it out. Of, he's let it out of prison. Okay, girl, get it together. He's let out of prison for the billionth time. Yes, that is a word. Uh, in 1987, and decides to return back home. So I believe it's where his grandma was, uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. He tries to live a life rid of crime, but somehow people just, like, don't like him. 
And they're like, I don't feel good about you. So one day, he's fired from this restaurant job for just continuously missing work. And he decided to go to the mall to cool off. Because that's what you do. Yeah, um, I do. All the time. I mean, 80s culture, the mall was the place to like... To... I bet Debbie Gibson was performing. Absolutely. Or Eric Estrada and the cast of Chips were there. I guarantee. <laughs> so guarantee. Guarantee. So that's where he saw 24-year-old Julie Grissom, who looked like his wife, in, in his eyes at least. He followed her home. And again, like we heard before, he murdered her, he murdered her and her family there. And this is what he would do with all of his victims. Before he killed Sonia and Christina, he watched and followed them into a local Walmart as they shopped for new items for their apartment for their first days of college. In his hands at the Walmart, as he's following them, he's literally holding the items that he would use to torture and kill them. He has a ski mask. He has black gloves. Hey, Walmart, get your shit together. If we see people buying suspicious items in bulk together, that is a red fucking flag. I'm Every, literally, absolutely not. Because literally every true crime podcast will tell you if you're buying mulch, if you're buying things to dig with, if you're buying tarps and ropes and ski masks and tape, mm-hmm. ain't no good shit gonna come of that. Your garden is not going to bloom and grow, my dear. If I see but someone th- buying zip ties in front of me, I go, I trust you not. I trust you not. I trust you not. Even... Never, never, especially because it's never like wholesome what they're also buying zip ties with. Like, you know, that's why I order my zip ties from Amazon so I don't get judged. (laughs) (laughs) I get mine from the dollar store. The the Dollar Tree. You can find everything at the Dollar Tree. The Dollar Twenty Five Tree now. The Dollar Twenty Tree. What what world are we living in? Dollar Twenty Five Tree. Gas is four fifteen a gallon. I (laughs) can't. So, um, he watched Krista from his creepy fucking campsite that was right off uh, the campus of the University of Florida. Um, because, of course, why not have a cute little campsite? He could see her. He could literally see her from his site, so he stalked her. Uh, he broke into her home when she wasn't there, and as soon as she returned, he attacked her. He actually left the scene of the crime and went to 7-Eleven for, like, a sweet little baby uh, slushie, went to pay and realized he didn't have his wallet. So then he returned to Krista's house to find it and then when he's there he's just like "Mm, let's make this site a little worse because i think krista looks much more than much more like my wife than anybody else and so that's when he escalated and made the scene look the way it was um when i explained at the beginning and he his fury for um for for krista because of the way in his eyes he viewed her um it was just horrific that of what he did to her to um to take it out on his wife who decided to live her own life so the prosecutor of his trial um last name smith said that danny rowling enjoyed these murders more than anything he's enjoyed in his life in my view it allowed him to do what he what he most liked to do and that was control the circumstance play the role of the star play the stranger play the man in the night dressed in black and come into town um as a kind of centerpiece of his poetry and allowed him to control women to his every wish because they had no choice but to try to fulfill his every desire because he completely controlled them. So once the police had his name, they went looking for this piece of shit. And the best thing that could have ever happened in this case is that Rawlings was already in custody when, when they went to find him because right after, the last, right after the last murder, he went to rob a bank and they caught him. So he's already in custody and so they started, and so they were like, okay, he's in custody. He's not going to get out um, because we haven't in, him in there for a bank robbery. So we can start to build a case against him. So this was about 50 miles away. He's sitting in prison, 50 miles away from Gainesville. So not that far. And he's thinking, he's thinking he got away with all these murders and that he's just going to be let go again. But the police were just like, nah, nah, like we got you now. And they found his campsite It was just strewn with evidence, like so much evidence of the murders. They found the ski mask, which matched fibers from the murder site. They found Manny's. Rawlings took Manny's pants that were bloodied, and there were hairs and DNA evidence from Krista Hoyt in the sleeping bag. And there was audio tape, uh, not of the murders, but audio tape of, of, it's fucking creepy, do not listen to it of um, Rawlings literally, like, talking to himself and having, like, existential moments. Like, the man is fucking, like, vlogging this, like, 
just like these experiences and like he's singing and playing his guitar. He's like disgusting and I hate him so much. Um, but he basically is like in words, like maybe not confessing, but he's talking in existential ways that just was like something's off and he like this is going to lead to more evidence. Mm-hmm. At the campsite, ugh, my little gay heart, they also find the screwdriver. And this is what is so fascinating to me that they used that he used to pry open all of the apartments. Terrifying, but it's actually fascinating because the fact a fact about tools that I didn't know until I read this is that every tool has a very specific signature, very particular to that particular tool, and matching the imprints is like markings to like open a safe. You have to be so specific to match um, to match um, tools. Mm-hmm which I had no idea about. And so this one is literally a perfect match in the microscope and to the to the openings and the markings that are found and, and on all of the doors to get in, all of the sliding doors. So police go to Danny, who's in prison, and they're like, hey, we need DNA from you. We need like something like 30 pubic hairs for testing. And this guy just like literally drops trout. This guy this that was like very he was acting very meek and mild and then in this moment he changes on a dime and he like drops his pants, puffs his chest like a gorilla and literally rips out. It's so like graphic. He rips out like two handfuls of hair and like literally goes back to like being meek and mild and like gives him their hair and they're like ew, thank you. But at least they had the DNA, but it was just like the fact that they literally saw this behavior of how quickly this man could shift, like on a dime. They're like, imagine what else he could do. So DNA and forensic evidence proves that he is the killer, but they're still not sure if it's going to hold in court because DNA is so new. It's like such a new science still. <laughs> so the task force is like, all right, we, we need him to confess. We need to make sure that we can put him away forever. I mean, imagine putting him away forever. Um, but um, but how? Like, how are we going to do this? We have to appeal to his ego. And so all this time, Danny is saying, oh, you know, I'm ta- I was taken over by the devil and by Gemini. I had no choice in the matter when it came to these killings. Like, it wasn't me. It was a one-armed man. And he was just, like, playing this meek, dumb, not-knowing individual when the authorities are, like, this isn't true. We know this isn't true. And every time the authorities would turn their back, they would say sh- he would say shit like he was the superstar of crime to all of his cellmates. Like everybody's like hearing him talk shit and say like I'm the best of the best of all these criminals. And there was one man in particular that he would like tell everything to, and it was a lifer in prison named Bobby Lewis. Uh, Bobby had his own thing. I don't even remember what, he, but he was there for life, so he had done some pretty bad shit. And Bobby was uh, Danny's confidant, like I said, told him everything. And he was actually the only inmate to escape death row in Florida. So, like, I don't know if the, I don't know how he escaped death row, maybe parole, like they changed his sentencing, but um, he was kind of, like, known for that. So he kind of had his own, like, peacocking about him. Yeah. And Danny hoped that he, that hoped that, like, maybe they could escape together and run away together into the sun sunset. Like, this is the Thelma and Louise that we don't need. Like, nobody needs this. Mm-hmm. True, no. And so, in hopes to get a confession out of Danny before the trial, prosecution is like, okay, we got to appease to his ego. And um, we got to connect to him and his faith because he's still very, like, centered in that. Like, we got to figure out mm-hmm. how to do this. Um, and we got to make him feel like a star. And that's horrifying. But they're like, but it's just what we have to do. But any time they tried to sit down with Danny, he was just like, I won't talk unless... Bobby is here and basically like he was kind of using Bobby as if Bobby was like um, an interpreter it sounded like like he would like basically whisper into Bobby's ear and Bobby would be like this is what Danny says Um, but after a long time of doing this back and forth with Bobby there they must have given Bobby like some type of they must have given him something to be able to do this Mm -hmm. Um, but after a long time Rawlings finally admits to the crimes and he makes a statement and then at the end of it, he goes, oh, and by the way, by the way, um, I also you like I also killed this family called the Grissom family. I mean, it's no big deal, but like I also they were also from me, too. And they're like, oh, my God. So they're putting all of these like cross state mm-hmm. lines crimes together. 
And on February 15, 1994, Rawlings pleads guilty on the morning of his trial, somehow like against the better judgment of his attorney. Um, but he does, and he's sentenced to death. And, um, and he says this awful thing where it's just like, shut your fucking horrid mouth. He says, I, I hope I die half as bravely as the people who perish by my hands. Like, don't fucking, like, don't put their names. Fuck off. Fuck off. No. Like, like Ugh, someone, so, show, show, his fuck, show his fucking mouth shut. Like, absolutely not. Oh, if I'd been one of the, the families, if I'd been in that room and he said that, I would have fucking killed him in that court. I, th- I think there was, like, like, I think people were very, very angry. There was a lot of, like, mm-hmm. there was a lot happening in the, in the trial that day. But he didn't want to face the jury because he was fucking terrified. He was terrified mm-hmm. of what people would do um, because mm-hmm. he actually was a coward. Um, and so, but he still, he didn't realize that, like, the jury would still be there for his sentencing and that the families would also be there for his, his sentencing. So he's just like, oh, my God. Oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize mm-hmm. that. So at That's his final funny. sentencing, un- I mean, not unfortunately, I don't know. In this case, it's awful. But it's like he, First Amendment rights. It allows him to say something kind of like his. It's usually a time for people to repent and apologize to the mm-hmm. families and say, I hope I learned from this. Like, I'm so sorry, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. But in this situation, he smiles, and he has nothing to say to the victims or the families. But he, he starts singing... Oh, it's disgusting. He starts singing the, an original song to a groupie named Sandra London about their love that had, like, formed while he was in prison. Now, she's disgusting. She's trash. Um, look her up if you want, but I don't want to give her any more attention. But, like, um, like truly, like, unhinged. Um, but he, instead of... Um, repenting for his crimes he just completely disregards the families there's no respect it's disgusting mm-hmm. and just shows like how he treats women and it's horrible um so three years later Gainesville Ripper is brought to justice and um and he's executed by lethal injection in 2006 and mm-hmm. um the worms have him now and no matter what you believe about uh the death penalty this this monster is no longer here and um, no longer a, a menace to society. So that's all I got to that's all I got to say oof. about him. Um, he deserves to go on the most painful fucking way though and like the the lethal injection is too too humane for someone like him. Like I you know again say yeah. what you will about the death penalty that's not what I'm talking about here but just in those situations the fact that he reveled in the literal pain and mm-hmm. anguish that he brought to multiple families fuck you man. Yeah, fuck you. That's just yeah. Fuck you. And it's just like it's just literal piece of trash. Um mm. But I want to I want to like end with talking about the victims and mm-hmm. who they were because so so often we just don't get to hear about their interests, their loves, their passions yeah. and um the legacy that although they were only here for a short amount of time, like the beautiful legacy that um they were able to leave. So I couldn't find too much um but um, this is what I did learn. So Sonia Larson was so excited to be starting college at University of Florida. She was very eager to start this new phase of her life. She was a reserved and sweet girl who loved working with children. She studied science and pre-engineering. Um, and she was a student in the Advanced Academic Magnet Program in her high school. She was on the National Honor Society with um, Mu Alpha Theta mathematical society sorota and the key club which your girl has still will never understand what the key club is but good on you um she played basketball volleyball softball and was the youngest of six siblings manny Taboda had dreams of becoming an architect and studied at the santa fe community college before he was accepted into uf um, into their architect program and he loved to play football he was also a member of the, sur- the service organization uh, Sorota, so I like to think that him and Sonia could have crossed paths one day. Um, he was also a part of the National Honor Society. He was, um, a th- he was in the Thespian Club and the Television Club. Tracy Pauls. Hey, theater kid. Yeah, he was a theater kid. Tracy Pauls was a poli-sci major. She had dreams about becoming a lawyer. She was the president of her high school class and homecoming queen. 
She was on the soccer team, the softball team, and a member of the National Honor Society. Christina Powell was from Jacksonville, Florida. She was a model student. She, like Manny, had dreams of becoming an architect and wrote for her school's literature magazine. As I think I mentioned earlier, Krista Hoyt was on her way to becoming a police officer. She was already working at the sheriff's office, and she had a great future ahead of her. There is a scholarship program dedicated to the victims of these murders in their memory um, to honor their memory and to perpetuate their aspirations. As of an article in 2017, the scholarship, this scholarship was given to 161 students, nearly $214,000 worth of scholarships. The Sonia Larson Memorial Scholarship was distributed to 132 students at about $113,000. Um, and the legacy of the victims is not lost on the town of Gainesville, even 30 years later. But I think I'm sure you could speak more to um, how people talk about this. Do you want to talk about um, the memorials that is there for? Yeah. The so students? there is this awesome street. Oh, God, I think it's uh, 24th where it cuts along the far, one of the far sides of campus. Now that campus is massive. Yeah. Um, and it's literally just all these like cement cement things and everybody repaints over them every week or things but there's tend to always be some sort of memorial or honoring to the victims um you can find memorials all over Gainesville to them because it is something that like it's not used to like exploit fear during orientation and things but it is still things that are talked about just so kids remain safe because it is uh, you know it can be a very scary town and we do have you know lots of different people that are there but it is something that like is still stays in the legacy of um, Gainesville because it is also other than UF one of the only reasons why it's ever made national news so like you know it's it's a huge thing it was a national story Um, and I'm going to go ahead and make sure that we put the uh, links to how you can donate to any of the scholarship funds um, because UF really brings in amazing students every year they have literally some of the top uh, programs in their fields and so to help honor those if anybody you know has a background in any of these fields um, or I would also love if anybody was in Gainesville during this time I want to reach out just tell what it was like for you yeah we would love to hear that story we would we would absolutely love to hear that and um what I think is really great is that at least from what I read is that there's still a very um strong community and they Mm -hmm. that although I'm sure from what you said that like you know, things uh, things change and security might go down, but it seemed like what I thought was really beautiful is how the school and the students, like, stuck together and they were like, we're yeah. going to make it through this. And um, I love that, like, this wall, these walls that were painted, um, that they were like, they had this anonymous, like, keepers of the wall. Like, nobody mm-hmm. knew who was keeping them up. And then eventually... Um, like the interfraternity council were like, no, 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 we'll, yep. we'll pay for the, like, this will be like part of our philanthropy. Mm-hmm. Like we'll pay for the, the paint and we'll keep it up. And I just think that's like, it's a living, breathing monument. You know, there's, I think there's also mm-hmm. five palm trees that represent all the victims yep. that, you know, it's just like, so life can grow from where this is. And obviously these people should be with us and imagine the amazing things they could have done. But like, it's really nice that they keep the memory alive and it's the memory of them, not of fucking Rawlings. Um, and the memory that we have of Rawlings is through a camp rendition of of Ghostface. You know, it's just like, no, we're going to make fun of that as much as possible yeah. so that we can make it through this time. And uh, that is the story of the Gainesville Ripper and its connection to Scream the Musical. Um, I love that. And, and, you know, it's one of those things that, like, sometimes we have to rely on parody or camp in order to help digest a really rough situation. Absolutely. Again, this is, I think, again, another argument at every step of the way of why we need to be supporting mental health and wellness. We need to be supporting getting people at any step of their recovery. Like, because, like, at every step of the way, veteran services mm-hmm. should have had his back. You know, there were things that some people are just evil. Um, And I think, you know, he might be one of those people, but at every step of the way, there was somebody there now is someone 
that we now have a system now yeah. that would have there would have been something there for him every step of the way but there wasn't there then and so it's again further argument for me of why we should be supporting those systems Absolutely. versus just throwing people in prison or letting them out of prison and back into communities yeah because that has proven time and time again that number one it doesn't work and it keeps yep. people who shouldn't have to be in the system for their entire lives in like kids yep. that had a dime of weed on their on their person and then you've got Absolutely. people like this who are consistently doing horrendous crimes, hurting people, mm -hmm. a menace to society, to the community, and it's just let out constantly because they didn't put up enough of an issue in, in yep. the prison. And it's, there's so many things in the system that need to change. And it's just like, we need to make sure we get the kids who made a mistake, a simple mistake, out. Yeah. And decriminalize things that don't need to be criminalized anymore and uh, keep, keep the baddies in. Agree a thousand percent. And again, it's not even just that these were all astounding human beings whose lives were lost. It's that they were human beings whose lives were lost. Yep. That just the pure fact that they had an amazing legacy to me is secondary yep. to the fact that like they did not deserve to have their lives taken away. Yeah, they and that's they deserve, what they deserve to grow up and be shitheads if they were gonna be shitheads. They deserve to have the worst college experience ever, which in my experience is what you get at the University of Florida, <laughs> a terrible fucking college experience Sponsor from a great <laughs> Sponsor is UF. Oh, no. No, 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 no. I will say, no, University of Florida is uh, their school of theater and dance. Really fantastic. Go check it out. Actually, uh, I've heard really have... good things about that. So at yeah. least. It's getting better. It used to be fucking shitty, but now <laughs> all the old guard is out. The new guard is in. So they're they're really trying. Maddie, so. I'm sure that you <laughs> help make say. it what it is, what it's becoming. So. Oh, no. I, well, I like to think so, but I also, they just needed to get me out because I was such a rabble rouser. Uh, but that is a story for another time. Oh, yes. <laughs> I think you found that story. And thanks again for another incredible episode. You're welcome. Uh, so quickly, resources that I used for this one. Um, yes, yes. Tell so us. So a bunch of articles about um, Scream and the Scream musical. I just looked up like Playbill and stuff like that. Um, but for the most part, for the research um, there was a Gainesville Ripper, Danny Rowling, Discovery HD documentary, an article with the Sun, Sun Centennial with Jacksonville.com, um, uf.ufl.edu, Gainesville.com, and ABC News articles. And those are my, Amazing. Those are my sources. Amazing. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. Exit Stage Death is brought to you by Dreamer Productions. This episode was audio engineered and edited by Maddie Limerick. And our theme is Antisocial Dance Party by Brett Eagleston from the Let's Rewatch podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Stage Death Podcast. On Twitter at Stage Death Pod. And send us your favorite chilling theater stories at Stage Death Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Patreon.com at Dreamer Productions, where your donation of $2 a month keeps quality content coming your way on your favorite podcatcher app. Join us for more chilling true stories on the next episode of Exit Stage Death.